This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Forrest and Dr. Drew. Here we are. All right, it's This Life Podcast. Um, I want to introduce everybody to our sponsor, Rocky Mountain Treatment Center. You've heard me speak of them before. Bob and I have in, uh, investigated these guys, and we are impressed that they are an abstinence-based, high-quality program. So we are pleased to have them on. They're located. You know how I investigate things? Mm. I ask people in the region. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I you talk. You can't go by what the place says. No, well, you talk <laughs> to the people, too. You get a sense of what they're. Listen. Yeah. You, some, some are forthcoming about what they are doing that we don't dig. But there's some good ones I've found around, and it's by talking to the people in the 12-step community, like, hey, what do you think of that place? And they'll give it a he- thumbs up, thumb sideways, or thumbs down. This is in right. Great Falls, Montana, 26-bed facility, surrounded by a beautiful landscape, uh, equine therapies, all kinds of individual therapies that are available. Very, very well-trained professionals up there. Again, for more information, it's rocky.rehab, uh, or click through the banner on the thislifepodcast.com or drdo.com, or visit their website, again, at rocky.rehab. Again, this is Playroom Pod Production. Thank you so much. Produced by Susan Pinsky. Uh, also, thanks. Shout out to our amazing sound engineer, Nate, Nate the... Nate the man. Podker man? Or was that supposed to be poker? Nate the Podker. man. Podker. Podker. Nate the man Podker. I okay. named him Nate the man like 10 years ago. You know. Got it. Uh, also, be sure to uh, give us the review at iTunes and comment, support the show at doctor.com slash contact. You can send in emails. We'll try to address some of those. Again, the conditions under which we apply them, there's all sorts of legal and ethical issues that go into what we do, what I can do with emails, but I will get to the sort of meatier question and speak in generalities about the kinds of things you'd like answers for. And finally, be sure to check out the Amazon banner at doctor.com. And it, uh, uh, it's free. Yeah, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything, but it supports Caleb Nation, who's our incredible web guy. And last but not least, go to the Dr. Drew podcast, Adam and Dr. Drew podcast on Corolla Digital. So today, Bob, want to introduce our guest? Well, it's Michael, A.A. Michael. Oh, great. <laughs> Michael Carano. Fantastic. We also have... It's no longer a comedian. I have other You're problems. No I have other comedian. problems I can get credit for. You've joined in with us. You're no longer a comedian. But also Patrick... The future head of Comedy Cares, by the way. Really? When's that going? When's that well, going to start? Trying to, we talk about it at lunch. You're going you're gonna to head that all. That could be a huge Hopefully. thing. Good That's for the plan. you. It's being of service. It's my being of service. Congratulations. That's and we're a- here with a man who does lawyer care. Yes. Patrick Krill is, works with the Hazleton Betty Ford Foundation Legal Professionals Program. And Bob, we used to treat a lot of lawyers and doctors, if you remember. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, is your, your mic on there? Let's check it. There. It is. Patrick, yeah, there you nice are. To be with you. Until Pleasure you got sued. You. No, no, and we no. Used the to other bar, <laughs> the other bar is the organization we were associated with, and they used our facility all the time. And they're so lawyerisk; they don't even allow you to know who's in it. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. It was <laughs> weird because we were like, "Do we report to somebody?" They're like, "No, no." There's there things documented about this. Well, but that's in fact <laughs> one of my concerns about how we got doctors. We we brought it to the state. We held held them hand to the fire. But attorneys don't seem to do that same kind of policing. They don't. The medical profession does a much better job with you know creating I, frankly, accountability. I would also argue nursing does better than doctors, too. They do. Yeah. And we actually just published a study with the American Bar Association on the current rates of addiction, depression, anxiety in the legal profession. We asked about barriers to help-seeking, and to Bob's point about not wanting anyone to know that was the number one identified barrier to help seeking. But, they, but they'll fear. go to ridiculous lengths. Like they won't even talk to a doctor about it. They, they won't. Yeah. There's a huge amount of just you know obfuscating any sort of notion Ugh. that we have a problem. It's just to hide it, hide it, hide it. I, I remember we, 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 I don't know if you were around, we were treating judges Is and stuff. Is it the most hidden? Uh, 
the, here's the thing. So we had the Catholic Church contract. We had Catholic priests in our facility. We had the other bar. We had lawyers. We had doctors' diversion and nurses' diversion. So we were treating a lot, a lot of, of different professional. professionals. Yeah. And I can tell you, even the Catholic priests were more open <laughs> than the lawyers. Yeah. We need a new spotlight. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> spotlight slash JD. Yeah, right. <laughs> you yeah. know, and it's something about the profession, I think. And, and Well, they know the consequences. Well, it's probably so. the same with politicians, right? <laughs> they all are politicians. But, I mean, you're not going to come out and go, like, hey, I've got a problem. Vote for me. Uh, well. Well, when they do, it's worked out very well. Like Patrick Kennedy, and uh, there was a well, guy. When you well, he off. had to. He tried to vote on the yeah. Senate yeah. floor yeah. with yeah. his car. But, but the thing with lawyers, and it really starts in law school, if you think about the oath that you take as a lawyer, right? right? You're saying that you're going to uphold yourself in a certain way and basically behave and live a certain way, and, and the ethical bar is set pretty high. And when you're in the midst of an addiction, you are just you know flat out sort of violating your oath of how you're supposed to be conducting yourself so there's that piece of it let me ask you this is it just the using or is it the usual behaviors that go on with using that they know they're gonna have to look at also that they really recoiling from well it's both i mean sometimes it's just the it's just the using but that is you know that's sort of putting you in a mental state that you're not really capably discharging your duties yeah. right as, as a lawyer so I, that's a that's a big piece of it and then the other thing that i see with my clients all the time i work with lawyers judges and law students exclusively is this fear of letting anyone know that they're not sort of perfect right right because people come to lawyers they come to us wanting the answer we're supposed to be the ones who are in you know in control and and you know not struggling with something like an addiction yeah and so that there's i've counseled a couple lawyers one was disbarred and went to prison and um i always wanted him to speak out he wrote a book his life is better now than it ever could be because yep. he was in real estate law he just went into equity funds he made more money than he's ever going to make as a lawyer but what right. it was is he got sober over that case and he stayed sober through prison yeah. and is still sober to this day 10 12 years later and and he says it was freeing. Once they said you're you're no longer a lawyer, it was a shaming, shaming thing. And then you have he's like thirty three. He's got to figure out what the fuck am I going to do with my life? I've lived my life up until now based around that license, right? You yeah. know. And I I think you know that that that's a big fear of uh, in the other bar. That certainly was a fear. Like if you commit a criminal act, drug possession, uh, you know, you don't get to, your license taken away if you get. If you're possession of drugs, if you're a doctor, you do. If you're a lawyer, you could. Yeah, you can't. You could yeah. because you're breaking the law. You can't you commit can, a felony, right? Right. right. And Doctors can commit felonies. They just can't do Isn't it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Have but, you ever seen any uh, ramifications from a lawyer? Uh, somebody's maybe possibly suing a lawyer, saying they didn't accurately. Oh, defend yeah, me I because have. they were drunk. I have for or, sure, I knew a guy that blew a murder trial, came through treatment. And everybody was, it was like a shark-eating frenzy. Yeah, well, it happens a lot more than is ever reported, right? And that's and that's one of the things that we're um, trying to advocate for some change around. The legal profession has got to do a better job of intervening on these attorneys who are out there uh, really sort of practicing while impaired. And there tends to be this, um, you know, you default mindset of looking of the other way, you know, among colleagues. So. Um, yeah, I think that. I why, think that why don't they create a wellness sort of system like we have for physicians? That, that changed everything. Well, well yeah, I think that would help. It's, a, we, it's what the way we do it is. You, it's a physician-run some administration, peer-driven, uh, yeah. peer-driven committee that you get referred to readily and right. any outlying behavior. And our job, I've been in several of those committees. The job is to attend to the wellness of the physician so they don't end up in trouble. Do they and interfere? it's all confidential. You may let them not. We. What do you mean? Well, I mean, when I'm walking through a casino in Vegas and there's signs everywhere, got a problem, and Gambler's Anonymous. I can't <laughs> imagine somebody's like, you know, yeah, I'm calling. I mean, here well, is, so what do you mean? They, they knowing interfere? there's help available doesn't mean you're going to go like, I yeah. might have a problem. No, they have some, no, some we little have, thing we have, happens at a hospital. Right, you refer. A, a patient okay. complaint. You get referred for it. No, that's what I mean. If somebody come in and go, you might have an issue. Do you want to talk about this or do you that? You get referred. The referral process is protean. In other words, you can get referred for raising your voice. You get an evaluation. We're all over everything. Anything that seems a little outlying, boom, refer. Because... Everyone knows it's for your own well-being. If somebody referred me, I go, oh, let's, let's, let me talk to them. I'll, if I have something I need to attend to, fine. I know they'll 
give me high quality care. I know they'll keep it confidential. No I know shame that, no shame. They'll be looking out for me. It's it's for the wellness of the doctor. Yeah. Then if they just f- up, then it's about the commit the hospital yeah. or the licensing and everybody else. Right. Uh, but in the yeah, meantime, that just doesn't happen in the legal profession. You yeah. have attorneys working shoulder to shoulder with other attorneys who are completely impaired. And you know they don't say anything. It's just the only you know, time it F. ever Lee comes Bailey to a head. F. Lee Bailey. Oh, I was just going to say F. Lee Bailey. He looked, he looked, <laughs> yeah. During the he was during the all the time. Simpson. Marvin <laughs> Mitchelson. That's right. Who's the dude with the tassels? But during the O.J. Simpson trial, he just looked like he was developing an alcohol. Jerry Spence. Right. Well, and, he's had DUIs. He's had several DUIs. Who has? Uh, F. Lee Bailey. Oh, really? He's gone. Oh, yeah. He's died a long time ago, right? I think so. Yeah. Mitchell, anyway, we keep interrupting. So but, uh, when, uh, it's just fascinating that because I believe in this. I believe musician. I worked at a musician's drug program for years and years. Musicians can talk to musicians. Lawyers can talk to lawyers. Doctors can talk to doctors. Comedians can talk to comedians. Right. We're actually it's I, kind I of would, a joke, but we are forming that. I go one step further. Veterans can talk to veterans. People right. have been in combat veterans, particularly, can talk to combat veterans. So it's we important. know this, and that's why we wanted to have. I wanted to have you say what's going on over there at Hazelden and Betty Ford. And is this. it there? Is it? Or are you just sort of representing them out in the world? No, here? I run a program in Center City at wow. Hazelden. Yeah, I'm so. a Center, Center City, City alumnus three okay. times. Nice. <laughs> Well, does Betty Ford put her name to the the Minnesota program? Yeah, we're merged. No, Hazel we're and Bob I thought it was just out here. No. Th- oh, Hazel my God. Hazel and took over Betty Ford. I thought out here, but I didn't realize that they'd merged their names. Yeah, it's one, everywhere. It's in West Hollywood. One organization. No, I thought just out here, Bob. I didn't realize that it was one <laughs> national organization, yeah. which yeah. is fantastic. So, But to Bob's point about you know people from one group being able to help people from that same group, that's part of the program I run. And it's, you know, it's a group for the lawyers, judges, and law students to get together and really talk about their stuff in a way that they can't when they're amongst people who, you know, they just feel too much shame admitting what they yeah. were doing as a practicing lawyer. And, and you and can't, they, people, they don't feel like people could relate to it. I can't, I probably couldn't relate to it. I, no. Not really. I, I, the way, but when I hear my physician peers talk about it, I get what they're talking about. I get it. You yeah. wouldn't probably know by looking at me, but my best friends are lawyers, and one's a murder. No, we would figure talk. that you spent some time with lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> we would figure. So, so, <laughs> by looking anyways, at you specifically. You know, he has represented people he knows are guilty of murder. Yeah. That's law in America. Yeah. That's no, just how it is. No, they have a different and, charge. And so how you cope with that within your own psyche, that that takes some medicine. <laughs> yeah, well, we do see a lot of sort of vicarious trauma with yeah. with people, especially criminal attorneys. Um, but then, you know, what they come up with through the profession is just seeing heavy drinking so normalized. It's not like that in the medical profession. I don't. I don't think. No. You know, but just starting in law school, that's how you blow off steam. That's the default mechanism, uh-huh. and you know, it just it, it continues on into the profession. One of the things we uncovered in the study that we just published is that the rate of problem drinking among attorneys is between 21 and 36 percent. It's a lot. It's, which is pretty significant. And, you know, that also it goes along with the rates of depression, which are significant, and anxiety. So all told, the profession is kind of in a bad place. It, really it, are bad there place. particular types of practice of law that are more represented in the a little bit, but, trouble group? A little bit, but not, there's nothing that's, you know, really, there's no group that's really far out there. Huh. I think it's so insidious. I know it very well. There's a monthly event here of the, I won't say what type of lawyers, and the um, district attorney of the city comes to it quite frequently. And there's been jokes are, I hope you're not driving tonight in my presence. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, these guys live in their own world. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're well, that is the world. other thing I've noticed. Maybe this is now stepping away from addiction and mental health, but. It 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 seems like um, my friends are lawyers and things. It's like you, the law is like an abstraction for us. For those of us who are citizens, it's like a concrete reality. And for you guys, it's just something that can be manipulated. <laughs> yeah, am I right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's true. And then think about that: those skills of being able to manipulate the truth and facts yeah. and kind of craft arguments to you know for your side. Take those skills and put them on top of an addict, right? So, you know, somebody, an alcoholic, an addict, somebody who you already... got me with no law degree. No. Well, <laughs> just, just so hands Mike, imagine you with a law degree. That's, that's what Mike just looked at me. Where do I get a law degree? <laughs> I, saw, I saw that look. I'm going to go take the bar. <laughs> I can do it. It's, I think that's part of why lawyers can be such difficult patients, right? And I mean, it, they can be really difficult to sort of bring into recovery because they have 
a lawyer's skill set at their disposal to defend their addiction. And and sometimes that's, you know, pretty tricky. Yeah. So how do you break down that? Wow. It helps to have them be around other lawyers who can call them on their bullshit, right? And, and to So they see know when the it. lawyerism is coming out and it's serving the addiction. Right. Interesting. I imagine once they get it, they get it pretty pretty succinctly. They can. And that's one of the things but that I'd be getting them to get it. I don't see how yeah, a lot of murky. Well, it seems there. we did not treat a lot of lawyers in our in our day. And I think it's because we did not tolerate much. Well, one, well, you know? well, we had that thing that Pat Martin had the other bar. Yeah, right? no, we and were very. Was some, I was very. There was one that. I remember. It was a woman uh, lawyer. Yeah, and she dressed up like she was going to court every morning. And I, after about two weeks, I was like, you know, you don't have to get dressed like a skirt and shoes. And I remember like, we were like, we're in a rehab center. <laughs> she wore wool. Dressed. Everyone else has got the pajamas on. Yeah. <laughs> it was so weird. And it was almost like her identity as a lawyer. Yeah. You know what I mean? That she was, so it kept everyone at a distance. Like everyone else is in pajama bottoms. We, but yeah. we treated, this woman's yeah. in a we treated a few, put your headset on, Bob. Yeah, your, your mic's deep, deep I can mouth. hear it. I can hear it. Okay. Yes. Okay. But, but listen, uh, we we treated a lot of female lawyers, but yeah. not many. We had a few judges. I remember. Oh my god, that was so frustrating. But the <laughs> mostly female lawyers, and they were when they when they got it, they came around very. Why nice were judges them. frustrating? They I'm were retired. About, the two that I no, remember were I, retired, and they were just alcoholic. Oh, and, oh so deep. And, and I'm, I'm frustrated with their their physicians who wouldn't crash down well pasadena is an old boys town uh, it was all of that stuff all that but did stuff. you question uh their ability on the bench they were already retired the no no t- i'm thinking not- of a couple that were demented but it was interesting i had a, I had a long conversation about these lawyers years ago where uh, the neuropsychologist was talking about overlearned overlearned material and if when you have overlearned professional material that you can just go if he was doing something perfunctory on the yeah. bench we we know it so well as professionals. It's just like you you you, you lose a lot of other stuff before you lose that. Yeah, that comes later. That's yeah. a really good. Point. And so yeah. you could work but not be human. In you a, could you work could grocery shop, you, or or it wasn't quite that bad. But you work, but you could you forget about how much you tilted that morning. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's like Glenn Campbell. Well, that's <laughs> like, a little worse. That's a little worse. Well, you think, well, oh my God, play. he's going to fall apart, he and then he just play. whips out the guitar he solo, and you're like, holy smoke. Music is actually a little bit of a special case, because a lot of people retain their musical abilities late in Al- Al- Alzheimer's, but it's a similar idea. How is it properly pronounced, by the way? Alzheimer's. With a T? A-L-Z-H. Yeah, but it sounds like you're saying Alzheimer's. 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 Probably true. Probably Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. So the lawyer. So the. So, tell me on the campus. You been to Hazelden? No. Oh, it's so beautiful. I know. It's like the. It's like the Harvard of rehab. I know. I know. (laughs) You know what I mean? I know that. And so I was in Cronin always. Cronin. Schumacher's for all the people that don't really do it right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You really do view it as the Harvard. It really is. It's one of the greatest experiences of my life. Hey, I can say stop. Stop right there. How many treatments after that before he gets over? 21 more. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, during that I last... Was a tre- hard case, they say. Bob, after that <laughs> last... to recover. After that last treatment, did you know that was it? Yes, that was also with the legal profession with uh, Mr. Sherman Block here at the <laughs> Twin Towers. That's, so, that's when he got the message. Loud that's when I got all the messages of Hazelden nine years before. <laughs> Sherman Walker to be there. The so sheriff? We were planting the seeds. Yeah, yeah. all the seeds came to fruition <laughs> in, in prison. The pill module. I'm of just wondering. Towers. <laughs> I'm sure you guys have already discussed this, but like Rehab 16, you just went, I'll be back. No, I always went to the nice one where they treated you nice and all the rock stars were for like eight times in a row. And you'd go there, and your friends would be there, and they smuggle jugs in. And I don't think you know how bad Bob was. I don't think you. Understand. I, oh, I do. I do know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the chili... I mean, I know from what I've seen in the documentary and stuff. But uh... <laughs> the, the Chili Peppers wouldn't hang out with him. Yeah, they yeah. didn't want me to know. They're where scared they of him. That's pretty good. Yeah. But but I loved going to Exodus. But I always and and just to defend my Hazelden experience, every rehab center I went to afterwards always said Hazelden. That's a real rehab. That's what oh, I'd say to every yeah. rehab I went to. Perfect. Though they would probably want me to go back to Hazelden. <laughs> be in their rehab right right so where is it on the campus there well we we don't actually segregate the lawyers they're all on their own units but then oh, we wow. bring them together for you know specialized groups, groups specialized and, groups and, you know, yeah that's cool so 
So there are all the different ones. Anybody in Jalnik? Anybody have to go long term? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. But we actually just changed uh, Jalnik. It's no longer long term. Oh, it's not? No. It's now a unit that is for um, those struggling with opioids. Oh, oh wow. That's okay, what I would have been let's anyway. Get in, let's get into this. We, I also want to talk to him about that program that Mackenzie taught me about there, 12 track. 12 core. 12 core. Core 12. Yeah, core, core 12. Because we, we have lots of strong feelings about Suboxone and all this kind of stuff. And so we want to get into that. We'll take a quick break. Be right back. All conversations and information exchanged during participation in the This Life with Dr. Drew and Bob Forrest podcast or interaction with drdrew.com website is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction per se. Nothing on these podcasts or posted on this site supplements or supersedes the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the sites or podcasts. We're back this life, Bob Forrest. We have our guest today is Patrick Krill and the great Mike Carano is part of our pod squad, Mike. Uh, and, yes, he is. Uh, Bob, we're going to have a pod squad. Mike a is pod squad? Yes, you are. You are <laughs> member almost one. The future, let's just start saying it now. The future director of Comedy Cares. Which is fantastic. That is such a big deal. That is such, I don't even know what I'm going to be doing yet. How's I, that a big deal? I, because I've seen what happened to Music Cares. And I've seen what happened to these grassroots programs in this town. They are... And, and Cut this, to... Eventually, you'll be corrupt now. and hanging I'm out going with to jail Bob Dylan. For, <laughs> I'm going to jail for <laughs> stealing money. Misappropriation <laughs> of funds. But, but You're going to make $365,000 a year for doing nothing. But, that was, or I, I, asked, I said, is this one of those things where I'm going to make take a huge salary? <laughs> yeah, but Mike... But Mike 30% of the annual budget goes to you, Mike. Here, here's my thing. Bob Dole's comedy, wife and I are hanging out. Comedy community has needed this for a long time, oh, for so sure. I'm really delighted to see this. But, and the problem is, every time a comedian dies, we talk about it, and then we just uh, whatever. And we and don't a lot do of well. bipolar and personality stuff. Oh in yeah, the group too. But yeah. anyway, let's let's go back to Patrick. We were talking about the Hazelton program, and uh, Bob and I have grave concerns about how we select people for Suboxone treatment and the opiate. You know, the opiate situation is so out of control and such a mess. And uh, so many physicians are treating this disease, don't understand it. Right. Everyone's getting shotgun treatment with the replacement therapies. And uh, the one question I always ask is, if, shock, if these replacement therapies are so wonderful, uh, golly, why is it when a physician gets addiction? We never con- consider that. We only do an uh, abstinence treatment to nurses and physicians. Huh. Isn't that funny? But our patients, will give them a bunch of o- opioids. So, so here comes the question of truth. Can you be on Suboxone and practice law? Yes. Okay. Actually, so the, because uh, they're lawyers, they manipulate it out of it. <laughs> well, doctors you, you, won't. They can't practice medicine. You can't fly an aircraft. You know, I ju- it's funny that you mentioned that because I just got an uh, inquiry a couple of weeks ago from a state uh, bar examiner. They had an applicant trying to get into to be admitted to the bar who was on Suboxone, mm. and the bar examiners were looking basically for an advisory opinion. Do you think this person can practice law? And assuming they're sort of you know, taking the medication as how prescribed. Much? How much before you're intoxicated? Right. Which is... Eight, eight milligrams? 16 milligrams? 32 eight, milligrams? I would say eight. Okay. I, four to eight, you could say somebody could function on. But we still, we feel like that's somebody who's still in jeopardy all the time. If you know I was I mean? on trial for a third strike, I wouldn't want them to be my lawyer. Right. Yeah. That's the problem. Right. So, and it's a problem in airline pilots. It's a problem in, in the unions. You have machinery operators. It's been a problem about Suboxone is what is the point of intoxication? And and then who? who Let alone whether they're only taking that because, you know, drug testing is more sophisticated now. But before when it started, when it started, you could, you just tested positive for opiates. Bob, if you, if you were taking Suboxone and needed to get around a drug test, any problem? Elvis's pee. Any problem? (laughs) Any problem? That's my five-year-old. Wait, how can they how can they put a number on an alcohol intoxication? And they can't put a number on this drug. It's complicated. That's why. But alcohol would be complicated as well because it was it was a someone's determination as to this is it, the amount where it, you're legally drunk. It's much more predictably motor effective, affecting. So motor you don't know if a person's high based on their dose. It's hard to tell. You but would that be the same thing with alcohol? Asleep. If you're a giant guy, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. but your blood level would re- it reflects the blood level correlates with certain motor impairments. Pretty reliably. 
pretty reliably. Well, a certain Th- though, level of alcohol in a big guy or a little girl would result in different actions and different behavior, blood, right? Well, you're bringing up actually something that is a little complicated, but the blood level would be the blood level, and that blood level associated with motor dysfunction. However, okay. however, one of the strongest predictors of having a strong genetic potential for alcoholism is being resistant to motor intoxication by alcohol. So it's what an interesting phenomenon. But so let me throw it back to you. What yeah. about a, a lawyer who's on another prescription drug, right? So maybe their psychiatrist is prescribing. It's very didn't. The drugs, that, uh, opioids, benzos, I would not let them be on benzos. But sleeping meds, but I'd be very concerned about that. Uh, you know, prescription medication use and abuse is pretty common in the legal profession. And the use, it's really hard to know. Is somebody because if they're taking it as prescribed it, we're, we're pretty hardcore in our sort of assessment of things you know our thing is that you're an addict or you're not if you're an addict you're taking a benzo you're it's game on you, you may be controlling it you may be following directions you're still in your disease oh this, ab- yeah. absolutely for somebody who's an addict yeah. but i'm just talking about the impairment piece because there, oh, are, it's much, there, yeah, there it's are a complex. lot of it's attorneys complex. out there who are on prescription medication yep. for a variety of reasons, yep. some of it legit, some of it yep. not legit. But I would argue that those people may be equally as impaired as the person on Suboxone, but they're just sort of taking it to manage their anxiety as prescribed the, by their... The, 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 I, would, I would suggest that the difference is that people are taking people have the disease of addiction when they're taking chemicals that activate that disease in any way, they're one of the associated phenomenon is lying, obfuscating, and maybe some behaviors being that aren't so late, good. a little tardy. Yeah, and right. so and, you know what I mean. The, but being so. on a high dose of Zoloft or something, not associated with that, even right. for an addict, right? And and not even necessarily a, a moderate dose of benzodiazepine in a non-addict. But so, an addict who is using even a small amount of something, I expect behavioral disturbances but, and d- but, trouble with the truth. But let's right get away. back to no, his, his evidence. I, his yeah, evidence yeah, yeah. is that a third of the population is is susceptible is that what your survey right. said okay so this is what scares everybody the numbers are higher in the medical profession for what for what for for abuse and addiction yeah N- not for drinking though we found the rate of problem drinking in See, the legal profession that's right double that of doctors I think that oh ma- really that makes, oh yeah that makes sense and and the other interesting thing about what was the what was the 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 assessment of the difference between abusing and addicted well, well we, didn't, we didn't. It was a. It was a survey. So heavy was, drinking. It, heavy drinking. Heavy yeah. drinking. Okay. We weren't able to actually complete, you know, assessments. These weren't structured. They're kind of anonymous. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. And heavy the, drinking is heavy drinking. So here's the thing: we know traditionally or, or historically, medical profession, jet fighter pilots, top of the heap, entertainment, law. Yeah. Right. These are the people we look to in society to be leaders. Yeah. And influence the society and its thinking and its no doubt. And when a, even if twenty percent of that population is intoxicated or impaired on a regular basis, it's a contributing factor into our lost society. I believe. I couldn't agree more. But don't you think I, it's I like think a catch twenty two? Where whoa. if you're that driven, you're going to be that kind of person. You're also going to want to quell it and and like it's just a bunch of chaos. <laughs> Can we just do a show where we talk about how fun drugs are for a while once? On, you, let's get to it. Do you think Trump's on drugs or not? Not. No. 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 No way. His face is so red. You don't think he's drinking? I think he's eating too much. I really don't think much. he drinks. I think he's, he's so he's never focused drank. on himself that he doesn't take time to go yeah, Everybody. I think Hillary needs some benzos once in a while to get over this Saunders funny. thing? It'd be kind of funny. Huh? For sure, right? No. Get over what thing? He, she didn't expect this Bernie Saunders phenomenon. <laughs> Must piss her off so much. She's yeah. got to have a Xanax yeah. a once in a while. For sleep, at least. <laughs> I know nothing of politics. Let me just take that. And I don't want to talk about comedian. politics. But he, I'm not a comedian. I'm a photographer. But here's what I love about Donald Trump. Comedy care is your new job. First of all, comedian. if you look at it, Mexicans really no. Uh, here's what I love about Donald Trump is I love watching the other guys whom I despise just watch their. F- dreams go up in smoke because a psycho <laughs> is on it's like letting a monkey on the stage and they're like okay you're out of your career now bye i love that watching these professional that's comedians. how i felt when grunge came along yeah yeah <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah well it's interesting I, I i i've noticed that one thing he is able to do whatever this thing is he's doing is that anyone that responds to him looks like they're out of their mind 
Absolutely. They, yeah. Like as the ex president of Mexico looked like you'd need a psychiatric yeah. hospital. <laughs> I'm like, this Rubio, is Jason. Rubio he tried just... to say that his penis is probably too small. Yeah. Like how that's this is for the president. It's unbelievable. Even it's, I wouldn't say but, that. But he, <laughs> it's, it's Mr. Trump's evoking that of these guys. That's what's right. so awesome. Yeah. But so, it's funny anyway. watching professional politicians who just everything's a soundbite and everything's yeah. studied, watching their dreams just <laughs> yeah. yeah, but Rubio's young. And he's got that friend that. But still, uh, it's four years that he got shot. To, I like yeah. it. Anyways, but but you know what's funny is I've always said this: most politicians and leaders in our country come from the profession of law. Yeah, right. I do. It's weird. Why not medicine? Why not? You know, now entertainment with Ronald Reagan and Schwarzenegger and whatever. But but it is the primary occupation of our leadership in this country, and we're a lost country. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? But we're a nation of laws. Philosophically, it's kind of strange. You know, I was having a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a judge here in California about this issue after we published this study. And she read it and she saw what trouble the profession's in. And, you know, she was talking to me how she's so troubled because, in her words, all justice flows from the legal profession, right? All justice for our society. Sure. And if you have. One between one fifth and one third of these individuals, and we only surveyed licensed attorneys who were currently practicing in the profession. So these weren't just people who went to law school and went off and did something else. These are people fifteen thousand we the surveyed front lines. who are in the profession practicing today. You know, and she was talking to me, and it, it, it's so true. Everything, all justice, our whole society, it's it's underpinning our whole society, and a significant amount of these people are you know, dealing with their own issues, you have to wonder how much they're really focused on the work they're doing, how present they are, you know. I I would just flip it around and say, hey, two-thirds are well. Those two-thirds need to step up and take care of the rest of them. Well, they do. They really do need to step up and take care of the rest of them, and that's that's a big problem. There's, you know, it's been the inverse of the see see something, say something. It's like, you know, see something, don't say anything. and, and Unless it's to your advantage. (laughs) Unless it's to your advantage or, you know, when else it comes up, Bob, in a firm setting, if somebody's billable hours start to suffer, if they're not delivering the goods, if they're not, you know, bringing money into the firm, that's when, you know, the partners, the colleagues will tend to step up and say something. Meanwhile, they've known that, you know, they're... And, and to, and to be years. fair to whether this, uh, how, whatever we do with this bit of data is that for men particularly the workplace is the last place to be affected by any using whatever mm-hmm. they're using the 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 very if it's happening if the workplace if the work environment is being or performance is being affected by their disease they're way on it's mm-hmm. the last thing to be affected mm-hmm. so you could also argue that they may be okay you know what i mean it's it's late in the course of alcoholism that their work is measurably affected oh so maybe they're drinking at a at a really high level but it's not not yet not it, it'll, it'll happen yeah. but maybe right. people are, maybe a set of criteria need to be set up to go you know when you must step in at this right. point or something well at a minimum they're at risk yeah. right yeah, oh yeah at a minimum the people we identify well, I, I would with. argue they probably are not doing what they, sh- they again the, the, what troubles me is the lying and obfuscating that goes on with this disease if you're involved with justice how the hell right <laughs> right how do you well, 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 I do know, just let's think about the practical. I only deal in criminal justice, right? So there's defense attorneys in the, in the public defender's office who know what DAs have drinking problems. And they get, there's a quid pro quo there that's not talked about. It's not overtly talked about. It's like, come on, here, do me a favor here. You can give them, give uh, you know. Uh, Horse trading you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And it's based on. Did you just say, this come on, un- head? Huh? Horse trading. Did you just say someone's name? Huh? No, no come, on, come, here. On, come on, here. No, come oh, on. Come on. <laughs> come on, give, you know, let this kid go to to alternative sentencing, <laughs> for instance. DA's got 30 cases she or he is overwhelmed with. She's hung over. I've been there in court where you can see that the DA's hung over. You know what I mean? Sweaty, not a little unkempt. And you see the public defender's office just say, come on, do me a favor here. Do me a favor here. And that's the justice that we've got here in this in this city. I don't know about where, up where you've practiced. Well, I did used to practice here in L.A., but... What Hill else? Street? No. Oh, my God. No, was, that's where I work. I was in civil civil law. But what I can tell you is that we found that the problems are widespread. You know, we had 15,000 lawyers from 19 states, and it was consistent. It was everywhere. It wasn't just L.A. It wasn't just New York City. It wasn't just Kentucky. 
we have you know consistent problems throughout the profession, which I think suggests it's something about the culture of the legal profession that people were brought into starting in law school. Uh, another interesting thing we we found though we asked what you know what percentage of you think you've ever had a problem with alcohol about 25 percent acknowledged they think it's been a problem and of that portion roughly a third said it started before law school so you have a lot of people coming into law school who are already sort of predisposed or having problems with alcohol so i don't know if we're you know not screening for that well enough or or what it is about the profession that's attractive. The, the good news is just alcohol. <laughs> so my profession gets the opiates and everything else going too, which is a far more it, nefarious. Is problem. that so? It's oh, historical, yeah. but it's historical. We have access. A lot of we have access it's historical because if you get a possession charge up until like the last ten years, you're in California. And so in law school, I remember a, a friend of mine's lawyer in New York, and he was in second year of law school, and we used to do coke and go out and see bands all the time. He came by my house, and he goes, you know what, I'm going to have to cut the coke out. But he was drinking like a all night, and I, he always bought the coke, so I was kind of <laughs> bummed. Like, why are we cutting and it I out? I was like, why are you stopping? He goes, because I really got to get prepared. for two, You know, I'm going to be a lawyer, and if I get a possession charge, that's the end of me. Yeah. And so I think that's the mentality that was ingrained in people in law school and along the pipeline that you can't do drugs. You can get face drunk right. in law school. And yeah. that, that's the great, I won't say his name, but he, if he listens to the podcast, he'll know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what do you want people to know? Where do you want this to go? Is there anything you want sort of listeners to do or attorneys who might be listening to do? Well, what I want attorneys who might be listening to do is to is to know that you know you can get help and it's not necessarily going to impact your career. It's not going to impact your license if you get ahead of the problem. You know, there's is there this, a place people can reach you? There's a lot of misinformation. Me particularly? Well, if they yeah, want to. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Um, I, I would, they're free to email me at, at pkrill, P-K-R-I-L-L, at hazeldenbettyford.org. That's my email. H-A-Z-E-L-D-E-N, it's hazelden. Bettyford.org, yeah. right, yeah. one word. Thank you for that. Um, but the the main point of this study was to really just sort of expose the problem because I think this is telling too. Um, the medical profession has probably had a dozen studies done on the rates of impairment, the rates of drug use, alcohol oh, use. There's so many way systems many in Okay, so way yeah. many more than yeah. that. So this was the first, it was the first ever national study of these That's issues. That's crazy. There's got to be other ones. Maybe it's for well, by lawyers. There was one, no, there was only one other study. It was from 1990. What? And it, right, that's why I was. I actually went to the American Bar Association a couple of years ago, and I said, "This is really problematic. We need to." Study you know what this is? This is this is why I ended up studying the narcissism and celebrities because I had access. Same thing. If you're coming from within the profession, you have access. Right. But so yeah. this was the first study since 1990, and it was the first ever national study, which really points to the problem. The legal profession has not wanted to look at these issues. What's the trend from the 90s study to now? The pro- rate of problem drinking has increased slightly. Um, so it was a big problem then, based on that study. And probably a lot of, and let's assume that in 1990, I bet you a lot of people lied on the survey. Probably. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Sure. It's so well, especially because it was probably a phone survey, right? I don't know how they administered it in, in 1990, actually. Now, was, it's, now it was via email? Ours was electronic, yeah. yeah. I, you said you want people to know their careers are not necessarily going to be impacted. That would freak me out. Okay, yeah. So. <laughs> no, but I want to hear... No, that sounds anonymous. Like, that sounds like a lawyer's talking. No one's going to know about your thing. I don't want to hear... It's, we're not saying... It's my, I don't know. <laughs> Thanks, Mike, for, for actually clarifying. Bring, yeah. clarifying because I, what I meant by that is if you get help before you've actually done okay, something. Okay, got it, yeah. Um, because so far, you've gotten away with it, say yeah. it in junkie well, yeah. terms. So far, you've gotten away with it, but if you're, you're, something's going to happen here, and we can help you. Get help before you yes. commit malpractice, before you end up in front of the disciplinary board, and it won't impact your license. There's no penalty for getting treatment. And there's a lot of misinformation out there in the legal profession. And, you know, there's just this fear that if anybody finds out, including lawyer assistance program, you know, that it's going to somehow impact my license. And so they don't seek help. And then they end up getting jammed up with discipline or committing malpractice, getting sued, whatever. And the underlying cause of it, which was their addiction, becomes exposed. And then, yeah, you're sort of facing two things. Um, So you're not going to 
face any sort of blowback professionally if you get ahead of it and that's that's really my my main message you know there's a, there's a lot of silver lawyers here very very proactive very outspoken not anonymous in los angeles barry for one thing yeah but, but he was very outspoken and and says he's sober all the time you know it's uh darren cavanoke too and and myra too the yeah. judge right he's retired now yeah they, so they, they were very outspoken and and I, I felt they like, all, why are they so too, outspoken? They're more outspoken than musicians that are yeah. sober. And they like going on Larry King. So what was that about? The, 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 the handfuls of sober lawyers and judges in the communities were so adamant and so outspoken and so um, breaking their anonymity. Why, have you seen a trend in that? No, but we need more of that. That must be here. We should get Darren in here. Darren Kavanoke, he's the one eight hundred no cuffs guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he, but he's very involved in his recovery. He was a bad drug addict too. Okay, th- that's now that to me is there a, a level of hypocrisy there because he, let's ask him. All his I know ads are you've been drinking and driving. Call me one eight hundred no cuffs. <laughs> yeah, but but maybe maybe but it has, is. But maybe he has a follow on with that where he gets people on into recovery. You know, if you can get people out of prison into recovery, good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. You want to interview him? Well, that sounds just you know. I'm the sober guy, but hey, I have a bar in the corner. Just want to drink. Not <laughs> saying everyone's entitled to a defense, Mike. I'm curious okay. about the mental state of people that have addiction. I've noticed like a correlation between narcissism, feeling sorry for yourself. A lot of these, a lot of these traits, yeah, that I see in meetings and stuff. And I wonder if being a lawyer, this might be just a legal thing. I always wonder what people's mindset is. And me, as a regular citizen, and a lot of people think we're protected by the law. Oh, we're kind of safe. We're protected. But as a lawyer, you understand how it actually works, and you understand the mathematics of it and be behind this, and it can be manipulated, and what's involved in, in squirming your way through things. And I don't mean in a, in a nefarious way or in a bad way. I just mean you understand the workings of it. We think it's just, here's justice, and for me, it's going to be fair. Maybe well, that's now what and then I was something. Slip, but that, I wonder if that affects your mental condition as an does. addict, where, where there's a lot of guilt, well, or there's because you realize this is just everything's relative. Everything is relative. Yeah. There isn't, yeah. you know, there is. We we're all a bunch of animals, and yeah. I happen to have a better dart gun than yeah. other people do. <laughs> so there's a lot of disillusionment in the legal profession among practicing lawyers for reasons like that, right? Because you kind of see what this is all about, what this justice system is all about. And the level of career satisfaction is oftentimes quite low. The disillusionment, the, you know, sort of demoralizing atmosphere. And, you know, that tends to drive people to a lot of self-medication. And, yeah. Well, the other other occupation I would say that I've dealt with that really has that is homicide detectives. Unbelievable. Because of trauma? It's what they we, see people do. That's too. what I mean. It, it's yeah. what they see every day. We had this guy that was 25 years. I watched homicide four episodes of Friends LAPD. Files I, today. Oh, yeah. I almost got <laughs> <Yeah>. out of <laughs> my mind. <laughs> I he had become it. so cynical about mankind, you couldn't even get him to look at something to motivate him to want to be sober. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Uh, you well, know how a, how about a grief counselor? Well, funny. You, what the hell is that job? I'm licensed well, to be a grief therapist. Is uh, there something wrong? I have a good okay, sense here's, of humor. Here's what happened, <laughs> and I have. This is not a joke. What? I saw a grief counselor recently. Well, and let's switch gears. We're going to switch gears, Patrick, because this is actually what I want to talk. Well, about. I just this is a tragic thing. We got to fill him in. His sister, like we just said, mm-hmm. driving down the street a couple months ago, tree falls and hits her and kills her. In the car. The, just, I still think about it today. I just like, I think about it every day. Oh my fucking God. And we all know that's a possibility in life, but yeah. rarely does it ever happen to you or your family member. Yeah. And so he's been dealing with that and we've Sorry been letting him that. not talk about it, but today I decided to push a little but more. With the, with the grief counseling thing, there, I, I, don't, I don't see where there's any job satisfaction in... She's never going home when her husband's like, how was your day? And she's like, horrible. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that is what's happening. Every day that's happening. She's never leaving going, I love my job. <laughs> no one ever goes, I feel better. Thanks. I heard a woman talk about, she was the one, she worked for the police force, and she was the one that had to do the... Announcing. The, what do they call it when they... they, they like a press conference? Or no, no, the no, family. When they, when they, uh, oh, oh. Can she, you imagine? She, that's she your did, daily. You got four of them today. Oh, that's the worst. She did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of <laughs> that's them. That's the... And she said, 
She said exactly the same thing happened every time. Now, she was in it because she'd been through it. So okay. much like you know, how do people become chemical dependency counselors and deal with addicts all day, sometimes when you've been through it, it it's part of your own healing. It's part of your giving back, your deeper appreciation of what people are going through. But this woman talked about how she would knock on the door, she would do the, what's, what's it called, like the announcement, the whatever announcement, it is. Yeah. There's a name for notification. it. Notification. Notification. Do the notification. And she said in all cases, people go to the floor. They go to the ground. Hmm. And she goes down with them. And she stays there until they come up. And she said, they always come up. They, people always come off the floor. And that's her sort of metaphor for getting through and working through and the empowerment of the resiliency of the human soul and mind. She finds great, I don't want to use the word like satisfaction, but it's reassurance, I guess, in taking people through that. Does that make sense? It's self-convoluted. Uh, it's self con- con- it, it's generated inside of you then if you're getting satisfaction because you're not getting it's it from sense, the outside. Nobody's going, to thank you for help. Well, they are eventually saying thank you maybe. for being here. Okay, maybe. Know? But I just don't, I don't see, like, uh, if somebody were on stage and they're getting a payoff from the audience uh, applauding them, that's much that more there's fun. an immediate <laughs> that, payoff. That I better. thought you yeah. weren't involved in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, but, what by the way, the, he will be at the comedy club, though, yeah. the, the uh, improv comedy. Oh, yeah, up. I'm doing a show on the 26th. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be comedy, though. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. And by the way, he means it. I've it's been an through. Hour I, he and death. I did one of these. I, we just yeah, got yeah. up there and did it. Um, what, what do you think? Why biologically do they drop? Do you think? Uh, I think they've seen it on television <laughs> or duck. I think you just you lose you, your parasympathetic. Do you really? Wait, I'm sorry. Do you really think well, that's people a possibility? become weak in the knees? Right? <laughs> yeah, weak in the knees. What, so, what did I see on TV? I'm supposed to do this. <laughs> <laughs> swooning no your parasympathetic nervous system kicks in your heart rate goes down to 20 and you, you have to sit you, down you definitely yeah. have to sit down but they go okay. down they, i just thought there might be some weird evolutionary how do you find it out? is it how is. do you find out i was standing in a coffee shop and uh i walked outside somebody call yeah that was it was bad super bad <laughs> it was bad it was terrible it was better than finding out on twitter yeah so i found out I meant to ask you about that. Yeah. Was that your mom's sister? Which one? What? what? When you said you lost... Oh, my like mom. Three years ago? Three years ago? Yeah. Who did I lose three no, years ago? He found out my about sister. your sister. Oh, yeah. Twitter. No, that was my younger sister. But that, was a, that wasn't, it wasn't sister my mom. mom. Okay. Was it your actual sister? There. You're just sitting there like, what the <laughs> is he talking about? Well, was when it, you told me that... I, it, my like, sister was my mother, and well, I didn't know it. Yeah. You know, ever heard yeah. of those stories like Jack Nicholson and oh, all that? Wow. 50s and 60s. Okay. So, so then my sister, we we're talking about my sister who died a couple of weeks ago, and that was my li- younger sister. Okay. Not my mom. Well, I was dry- when I left. Actually, your I sister like, or your. your- uh, my aunt. Oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> See? <laughs> Uncle Dad was coming over to tell me that. She was my Uncle sister. My sister wife. I loved her like a sister. My doctor grandpa was coming <laughs> by. And, uh, so. So, but so they that so that's that same thing. Why? Who was that person? Just a my friend? brother called me from Your the brother? scene. Yeah, somebody told him or something. No, he told was there. Him. He was there. Well, he, she was driving to a gig. Somebody called my brother and said Nikki didn't show up for the gig, and he knows she's never missed a gig out of the three thousand gigs she's done in twenty five years or whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, he started driving the route. Called my dad, and my dad heard all the fire trucks, and my dad left, and went, they both got there at the same time. Oh my god! Yeah, it was brutal. Um, so I don't, I, I'm not trying to be nonchalant about it, but it's kind of like a multi. It's just. I don't think I, you know. Out. Let's talk about grief therapy for a second. I know we're getting a little off the subject, but, but I've always felt when the time is right, like I didn't grieve my the deaths of my parents, my, especially my dad, who I love so much, till I was like. Till like five years later, oh, I, I hate I remember, that feeling. Then. And I, six years later, and I'll tell you what it was because I just idolized him and I loved him so much. And he died when I was fifteen. I was listening to John Cougar Mellencamp, uh, the song uh, "Boy." They told you go and be president, but just like everything else, those old crazy dreams just kind of came and went. Ain't that America, mm-hmm. yeah. right? You know that song. Yeah. My dad used to always tell me that I could be president of the United States. And I could get choked up now about it. Yeah, like it doesn't go away, Mike. I just I don't away. like the feeling that it, that this could be still hanging on here five years. But it's you got to embrace it. It's beautiful. It's the, it's the tapestry of life. That what happened to her is just so crazy. I, I think that yeah. 
is what I think about more than just loss. Let me let me let me this way answer you and make you feel a little better. Fifteen year olds can't grieve for the most part. They get grief therapy. I guarantee. I understand. Try to try to get from a Catholic priest. Wait, what what would you what would you call that? Yeah, exactly. This isn't helping. They can't really. I'm not, not a genius, not but I think kind. this is making oh it worse. Oh, my God. He's not a comedian. It wasn't that kind. I sat with the father oh, of the church. <laughs> Son, I've got something that will take your mind off your dead dad. Did you see that in Spotlight? That's one of the, I didn't that see Spotlight one of the, That was one of the stories. No, what? Yes. That the, the priest made the kid whose dad had just died. Oh, my God. Yeah. That could have been me. Do you want to hear? Can I? I don't know. He worked in Hazelden. We should go light on the Catholic stuff. Uh, I don't know if I want to mention the, what I did this morning because I think she, did it involve you, she might be upset that I Tara? brought this up. No, uh, Anna David. Oh, yeah. She's, she's good. She's been on the show before. I like how you just spoke for her. I haven't even said what I'm going to say. <laughs> but, I mean, Anna's All right. Good. I drove her to get an abortion. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't think she liked that. <laughs> she... Uh, no, but I mean, she, Edward, no, people she was know. having a difficult time. Her, I'll, I'll call, we'll call Anna her, see if she's going. Her to. cat of 18 years was very sick and oh. had to be put down. And oh. I said, do you want me to go with you? That was a yeah. week ago. And she said, that would be great. Yeah. Would you do it? And I went, yeah. And then immediately thought, well, will I do this? But it didn't happen. And then today I saw her this morning and she goes, I'm going to go do the cat. It would you know, really help me out if you were there. And I went, I'm, I'm all over it. So, of course, I was late. Oh, <laughs> And I'm trying to make her comfortable. And this is going to sound like I'm just tooting my own horn because I'm so funny. But uh, I feel sick now. Okay. I, I show up. Mm. This is about death, by the way. I built this up way too much. I go in there. She's with her cat. Mm. She's not doing well. Yeah. Very upset. Mm. And we talk for a few minutes. And then she goes, can you get the doctor? Because I want to get this over with. And I went, yeah. And I walked out. And I said, she's ready to do it. And they went, we'll be in in a minute. And I walked in, and I she said, what what they say? And I said, they told me to do it. And I walked over and picked up some gloves and stuff. And she didn't think it was a joke. Oh, my I had, God. I had to go, ah. And then the nurse came in, and the nurse said, I've got a pinched nerve. I'm sorry. It took me a minute to get in here. And I went, do you mind if I touch you? And she said, eh, I don't know. And I said, I'm just going to push on your shoulder and see if it makes it feel better. So now I'm like a 30 seconds what into this hell? back rub. And Anna goes, What's happening? can we focus on the cat? <laughs> And then she said, how are they going to do it? And I said, they're going to take a little pillow and put it over his face like a mafia hit. And then they asked me to leave. (laughs) And I didn't leave like, aha, that was so funny. I left like, oh, I feel sick. Like I did did the opposite of what I was supposed to do. And I I sent her a text to apologize again like the fourth time. She goes, "Um, this is harder than I thought. And she hadn't responded the second time. Can we uh, help? We'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. Let's I don't go know, get but I just—I feel like I feel. Just, I was just trying to be funny, and it was so not funny to but everyone no, but else. You can't beat yourself up about it. Here's here's the thing. I had to go tell my friend that his well, brother. Wait, was, hold a second. It, it, it was funny. It's just, it's just I can understand why it wasn't received as funny. You <laughs> yeah. know what I'm saying? You got to know your audience. Yeah, it's not not yeah. not funny. It's funny. But no. not for that moment. Not for that moment. But it, but isn't humor laughing for some reason around? I think there death might be some time weird. that needs to. Uh, yes, of like course. maybe after the cat's been gone for a week or two to talk back. to her. Nope. I'm going to talk to her. Yeah, yeah. But those are more like improv jokes. Like you have to have it in the moment, like that. Yeah. Do you think listeners don't hear it when you move the micro, microphone six inches away and <laughs> say something? Let's switch gears away from death and get back to Hazelden. Yeah. In no, a second. wait. Are we? Uh, Mike, you okay? You done? Are you? I'm okay. There's nothing yeah. he can do about it. Yeah. He's sober? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's yeah. good. He's However, I might not be. <laughs> I, this is me up, and you might be able to help with this. Um, I'm always a good Are you familiar? Are you familiar with kombucha? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so my friend drinks a lot of it, and I was like, oh, I'll give that a try, and I guzzled one of them, and I went, I swear to God, I'm buzzed. Yeah, it's caffeine. It's got a little, it's got a little caffeine and a yeah. little alcohol, but it tastes horrible. Why would you drink it? She said it's it's got probiotics. It's good for you. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's supposed to be good for you. Um, Everything's good okay, for wait, you. How can you. Everything so, that tastes horrible so is non, good for you. Nonchalantly, oh. it's got a little alcohol. It's got a little this. Little well, no. If you drank you a know, six-pack, you'd probably get a buzz. Yeah. yeah. You know, the thing, uh, what's the, I'll show you addict behavior. You know the stuff that people take a tablespoon of? What's it called? NyQuil or something? Uh, no, like a health, healthy thing, like a hippie thing. You would know it. 
Uh, like a Geritol? protein thing or something? No, Geritol. no, no. It's like a hippie Erewhon store thing. All right, whatever. That they drink, right? Okay. So it's got a teeny bit of alcohol that's not burned off. My friend's doing it, and people start with him saying, oh, you're getting drunk and all whatever. And he he started guzzling it and Ooh. drinking it. And then he was drinking like four bottles of it a day uh-uh. and getting drunk. Yeah. And that was a relapse. A kombucha was <laughs> I've got a problem, you guys. I'm up to 5,000 milligrams of vitamin C. But you know what? what do I but do? you got to hear this. You're going to love this. I want to know. You're at Hazelden all the time, right? Yeah. Is the junkie nun still there? The junkie nun. She worked in the administration. No. She, had, she was the greatest storyteller. She was a nun, and she was an addict. I think she was at Betty Ford. Oh, was she, she a yeah. Betty Ford? Yeah. Wait, let's also, we got to finish the opiate story. The 12, we didn't finish the Suboxone story with uh, Patrick, did we? Well, the, the, the 12. I mean, I don't want to corner him because I know Hazelden's really, you know, they're really open-minded about Suboxone, and that's so, when well, I got, no, I think I got disillusioned. No, they came to market to us at Los Encinas. We were out of town. Me and Barry met with them, and they had started using Suboxone as a detox med, and I just said, you open that door and no telling where, what, where it leads to. And I didn't see why after 60 or 70 years of doing the greatest job of de- detoxing and stabilizing alcoholics and opiate addicts, they needed to embrace this drug. And I'm not criticizing because I love Hazelden, but, and I'm sure it's a problem. You may not see it as a problem, but when you use it as a detox med, there's no way to stop what comes next, maintenance, or the continued use and abuse and in and out with it. And then it's the, an and insidious, and all the patients useless about it. drug. We already have methadone. Put people on methadone. Let doctors prescribe methadone to addicts. You, you know what I'm saying? I don't know why the, the laws are the way they are. You're a lawyer. Tell me. Methadone has to be distributed to addicts by the federal government. Yeah. But it can be distributed by doctors to pain p- patients. We need to change that law and let a- addiction doctors prescribe methadone to patients just like they do Suboxone. This was just, to me, a way to make billions of dollars off a drug that already exists, methadone. Come on. Can I, can I ask a, a naive question because I'm not familiar with this? Suboxone is a heroin replacement. Opiate replacement, not just okay, heroin. But it's a great opiates. detox drug. What, so you guys are seeing a big problem with Suboxone? Like people it's, think they're getting sober and they're really just continuing people, along? Only old people use it properly. Yes. Young people use it to patch in between. They die with it in their system. It, they think it makes them you know, powerful and, some and, work and So the heroin addict, keep, where does the heroin addict end up? Worse, they end up dead, right? Yeah. Or or off heroin. No, I think there's worse places than dead to end up. Like nine years of rehab. Yeah. Okay, but let's... <laughs> you're a heroin addict. The place you end up, is that worse than the Suboxone place you end up? No, no, Suboxone does have a role. And it does help some patients. The, the right. problem is that... Older, more mature well, patients. Well, the problem is the selection process. Well, and, and I think that's yeah. key. I think yeah. the patient profile has to fit the profile yes. of somebody the, who will be... In the community, it's just being used on everybody. I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. Right. An indefinable consequence of its use as detox med. These f-ing kids don't know what it's like to kick heroin. Because they never have. Because doctors make the detox so easy and painless and come to us. You know what I'm saying? Yep. They need to know what they're signing up for because they're going to get it when they try to get off a of Suboxone, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, you know the rationale for going to Suboxone for, for you know generating the or creating this Core Twelve program was to stop the amount of deaths we were seeing. Really, yeah. And, you know, we were seeing so many overdoses from of young patients, people, right? young, young people who couldn't stay sober, and they're just returning to their to heroin use. And as you know, you know, after a period of abstinence, you go back to the same dose yeah. and, and you overdose. Yeah, see, that was some, I shot dope in 25 years. Every real drug addict knows when you get out of rehab and your system is clean, you don't shoot the same amount of dope you, went, you we, shot we three weeks that. ago. And that, he gets mad at me, but that was just a known thing if you were a real drug addict. No, what we, we see, have we now it. is pseudo drug addicts well, well, who <laughs> use heroin who don't know the the de- deadly destructive nature of it and they don't have any fear of it and they have very little experience with it so you shooting you shooting with the hiv let guy me finish, was, let a, me was, finish. A, was a skilled let move? me finish because i'm on my soapbox right. so because <laughs> and the, and this is an to me this is a crucial part of it because they're forced into treatment for all the wrong reasons 
They're forced in at 17 and 19 and 21 when there is no intention they have of wanting a sober lifestyle or changing their life and nothing in their life consciousness relates to the 12-step approach or anything. Now, there are outliers and anomalies, and so everybody points to the 17-year-old boy that got sober, not the 3,000 that you've treated that wanted nothing to do with it. So we're forcing kids into treatment, which forces them to stop and start, stop and start, right? And now we're going to see Suboxone as a solution to that. But but I guess what I would ask with these kids, what's the alternative? Because if they're out there using and dying, is is forcing them into treatment? They're more likely to die if they go to treatment than if they continue using. That's what I tell parents these days. They are more likely to die if they go to treatment. Is the downside of suboxone worse? Return back to using, have no no interest in going to treatment. The other thing is the pills are what they're mostly dying of too. They get the other doctor, they get the opiate benzo combo, and that's it. Over. Well, the heroin's pretty strong. A lot of them are dying of heroin. Well, that's that's a relatively new thing. You know, I know that everybody. I just I've been around it so long. I just I I get frustrated when we've created a problem that didn't exist before, and then we have the solution that is been around with us for 800 you know 80 90 years which is replacement therapy heroin was the replacement for morphine was it not uh was heroin was replaced for cocaine <laughs> no but heroin they said oh it's a oh the golden years it's yeah. a better it's a, every opiate Listen, that's come on we the have market. we in my profession have found a replacement a, a, benzo is a replacement <laughs> for alcohol okay uh, pot okay. is a replacement for heroin heroin's a replacement for cocaine we, we've been doing this, this behavior. girlfriend's a replacement for that girlfriend. we've been doing this behavior of trying to find a replacement therapy for a spiritual malady forever and, that, and that's what the thing about my, my peers aren't trained to understand this condition right. and so they just think oh we're, we'll find a medical medical in quote solution which is a pharmaceutical pharmaceutical and, then, but, and but anyway, it is a spiritual we got to wrap it up oh, we got to wrap it up we do it we is a spiritual wrap. problem and the problem is within our 19 to 20 18 to 20, 34 year old age bracket that's where all the death is right, right? yeah really terrible. it's that young 18 yeah, to 34 oh, it's, bad now. it's bad it's I, all overdoses it's, it's all starts with pills i'm telling you it's where it yep. all starts Pills but somebody mixes pills and alcohol, and then their heart starts. Whatever pills happens, happens. Pills and heroin, Her- heroin and opiate and benzos. O- o- I didn't know that young. I thought I thought it's it would routine. Just... So, anyway, that's thing. that's just my two cents. I don't think it's a solution. I think there's a more holistic solution, which is educating parents, more comprehensive, more more sophisticated. And that's we need to heal so. as a people. And, and proper selection of the people that need the replacement therapies. That's yeah. really important. Yeah. We as a people need to heal, or I don't want to live here anymore. Bob, will you shut Donald, up? You I don't, put, you're depressing I don't hate, me. No, I don't hate Donald Trump, and I don't hate Bernie Sanders. I'm a person who's an adult who can look at people's ideas, and I know why they're doing <laughs> what they're doing. But this society can't anymore because of our education system. If you of, if you get so negative, if, I, I'm not going to be able to tolerate it. I'm not it. being negative. I'm, just said, I really I, believe in the young people. Let's fight for it. I believe who's stewarding the young people are misinformed and out of touch with them and don't understand. Yeah. And and that's the real problem. Well, I agree with his point that we do yeah. need to heal as a society, as yeah. a culture. I mean, there's there's a lot of sickness out there. It's pervasive. Yeah. And and we do. We need a we need a, a, a broader solution. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think it's families. It's some sort of spirituality. I think it's all stuff we always talk about. It's about well, caring for Good news is empathy. Trump's got it under control. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be winning shortly. But we are playing a song here at the end. It's Mike's song. Mike Cat. Mike. Uh, Your song? What Ron? song are you playing? I killed your cat song. <laughs> I didn't kill it. Which one would you like to play? Uh, what did you play last time? So let me get this straight. You're not a comedian. You're not a musician. You're not this. You just get on stage and take photographs of the audience as a performance. And I piece. sell them, and it's a <laughs> no. It's a mu- I'm gonna. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I, I, last time I sang some songs and told some stories and showed some videos, and this time I'm gonna probably do the same. But I might just. Uh, I don't know. Was the Can last I come one, and heckle you? Wait, was Absolutely. the last one at okay. Scotty's uh, place in Death Valley? No, that was at the, uh, Opera, the Opera House. The Opera House. Uh, no, that no, I did. I've done uh, three cents at good. the Improv. All right, good, excellent. We'll it's, go. It's a, it's a weird. Last time, I, I apologized for five minutes up front, and then about how it's going to suck, and I'm sorry you paid for this, and I tried to get people to get a refund before the show started. I want to go just, and to it was see very that. sincere. I was like, do you know? I asked a party of eight, do you know me? And they said no, and I went. You should get a refund. I can't wait. Because you're not going to like this. <laughs> this, will be the, this will be the best part like, of the show. And I'm like, why not? And I went, because I don't even know what it is, and I'm not a professional, and I'm probably going to fall apart, and I don't know what's going to happen, All and right. I wouldn't do it. I'm going to take you up Did they right take now. you up on that offer? No. No, they stayed. 
It stayed. It stayed. Patrick Krill, thank you so much. Yeah, I hope, hope this was of use to you, and I hope we get the word out of it. I think we have. I think it's a topic we would not have discussed with this kind of uh, rigor had you not been here. Yeah, so well, thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it very much. Love Bob. what you're doing. Yeah, thank we you. do too. Mike? Thank you for having me. Anytime. See you next time. Rock, C, and Frank. They're gonna cut you down. Poison heartbreaker. Only 16. Soft as a tank. And Chloe's brains on the floor. Knife blade is waiting for your mom. It's waiting for your mom. Be nice to me. Be nice to me. Daybreak at the Wigwam Motel. Frank takes time to notice her. Television, a different story to tell. Heartbreak, the band is breaking up. The band is breaking up. Be nice to me. Oh